Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. Let us talk about the college football playoff rankings because I didn't get to talk about them on the show because it was that one week of the year, that glorious week where ESPN decides to sandwich the rankings between two basketball games. And now that I have this job and this show, which premieres at 8 p.m. Eastern every night, well, we didn't get to talk about them on the show. So you'll get to hear the rest of the show after this. But first, let us discuss the CFP rankings. Georgia has jumped Ohio State. And I think as we watched Georgia Ole Miss, most of us came to the conclusion that it was time to make Georgia the number one team in the country. If you're an Ohio State fan, I understand you might be mad. But I think probably just about anyone else is looking at that and saying, you know what? Georgia does look like a rolling ball of butcher knives right now. What they did against Ole Miss suggests they can beat anybody in the country on the right day. That if they are at their peak, if they're at optimum level, Georgia's going to win a third consecutive national title. I know that's kind of boring to think about, but here's the deal. Georgia hasn't been that way every game this season, so there's no guarantee that what you saw against Ole Miss or what you saw against Kentucky is going to be the same team that you see in the college football playoff. But I would say that Georgia seems to be evolving into that type of team. You get Brock Bowers back. This is the first time we've seen Brock Bowers with a healthy Lad McConkie, with a healthy Kendall Milton. Guys, Georgia's offense is better than it was last year. Its defense is not as good as it was in 2022 and 2021. But the offense is better. 
And I think they probably are the favorite to win the national title. And we haven't seen a three-peat since 1936, I believe, in Minnesota. There's a good chance we could see it. But that doesn't mean this race is completely over. Because the winner of Ohio State-Michigan will have a say in this. Florida State should have a say in this. We'll see if it's the winner of the Pac-12 or the winner of the Big 12 that has a say in this. As I look at this, this is something I talked about last week. I think Texas probably should be above Oregon. If we're talking about resume, Texas's best win at Alabama. That's certainly better than Oregon's best win, which is at Utah. Now, Vegas thinks that if Oregon and Washington play again, that Oregon will win. In fact, the early line on a, an Oregon-Washington Pac-12 championship game is Oregon by six and a half. Remember, Washington is an underdog this week at Oregon State, a one and a half point underdog. But to have Oregon six and Texas seven, I don't think is fair to Texas because the Longhorns probably have the best win of anybody right now. They have the win against Alabama. I guess you could say Washington has the best win with the win against Oregon, but if that's the case, then Washington probably should be ranked higher than five. And I think the reason Washington is ranked five is the committee doesn't think they beat Oregon if they played again. The reason Oregon is ranked six is I think the committee doesn't believe that Washington would beat Oregon if they played again. And I think that's why Texas is where they are and Alabama is where they are. Now, Alabama is going to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. As long as Alabama wins out, they beat Chattanooga, they beat Auburn. If they beat Georgia, they're going to be in the playoff. The question at that point is, would a 12-1 and Georgia also make the playoff? And I think that kind of depends on what happens in the other leagues. Ohio State and Michigan are going to play. One of them is going to lose. Could two Big Ten teams get in? I don't know if that's going to happen this year. There have been weeks where I've predicted that in the projected CFP, but I'm just not sure at this point if that's going to happen. I think you're going to have to win, and especially if Ohio State wins. I don't think Michigan's non-conference schedule is strong enough, plus there might be residual effects from the Stein ceiling accusations, case, however, whatever we want to call this right now. Michigan's situation, I think, would hurt them if they have a loss to Ohio State in terms of making the playoff. If Michigan wins, Ohio State maybe has a little bit better shot because they did play at Notre Dame in the non-conference. But Notre Dame has fallen off. The loss to Clemson hurt. So we'll see what happens. But the Texas thing is very interesting to me. They're at seven. So let's say Georgia wins out. Beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. Let's say the winner of Ohio State, Michigan, wins the Big Ten. Let's say Florida State wins out. Let's say Washington wins out. What happens to Texas at that point? If Texas wins out, they're not getting in. They're done. Okay. Let's flip that a little bit. Georgia wins out. The winner of Ohio State, Michigan, wins the Big Ten. Florida State wins out. Oregon beats Washington in the Pac-12 title game. Is Oregon in? 
Or would a 12 and one Big 12 champion Texas team be in? I think the committee's telling us they'd put Oregon in. Would Oregon have the better resume at that point? They would have beaten Washington in that scenario. Texas would have beaten Alabama in that scenario. I think Texas needs to root for Alabama. But the problem is, let's say Alabama beats Georgia. Georgia might get in over Texas. Texas being number seven feels precarious to me. Now, again, if Texas goes to Ames and loses to Iowa State this weekend, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. But if Texas keeps winning, you would think a team that went to Tuscaloosa and beat a team that won its SEC division and then won the Big 12 would be in a position to make the college football playoff. But where they're, where they're at right now suggests that if that other stuff I said happens, they're not going to be in. And that's going to make the Texas people very, very mad. And look, next year there's a 12-team playoff. It's going to be a lot better, a lot more fair. But this year, it's four. And if Florida State keeps winning and Washington and Oregon keep winning, it may not matter if Texas keeps winning. So if you're a Texas fan, you better root for chaos right now. You better root for Oregon State to not just beat Washington, but also beat Oregon. And then have Oregon beat Washington. So everybody's got two losses in the Pac-12. That would be the best case scenario if you're Texas. Because right now, where they're at, there's not an easy path to the playoff. They could keep winning and still get shut out. We'll see what happens. we got a great show for you. We talk about why Dan Lanning is definitely staying at Oregon. When he says he's staying at Oregon, I absolutely believe him. I'll explain exactly why. We'll also talk to Paul Jones from On Three's Maroon and White Daily about the Mississippi State opening. We'll also talk to Sean Fitz of Blue White Illustrated about the offensive coordinator opening at Penn State. We will also talk to the great J.D. Piquel, the host of The Hard Count. You know him, you love him. We're going to whip around the Power Five conferences. We're going to have a potential reboot of the show Suits, where the cast defends Michigan and Jim Harbaugh against the Big Ten. It would be the best season of Suits ever. And there are nine good seasons on Netflix already. But J.D. and I will talk about that. So, great show. Cannot wait to talk about everything. We got college football playoff rankings. There is one more next week. Another one after next week. And then the one that counts. We're almost there, guys. This season has flown by. But it's been a lot of fun. On to the show. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. It is a Tuesday night. It is a college football playoff ranking reveal night. But it is that, that one each year where they sandwich it between two basketball games. And so our show runs on the On3Sports YouTube channel. 
at 8 p.m. Eastern time, it will not have been revealed by the time our show runs. So we've put together a wonderful show for you, but we will be talking about the rankings. If you want to hear what I have to say about the rankings, there's a couple of ways to do it. First of all, On3 is partnering with Bleacher Report. I will be on the Bleacher Report live show as the rankings are being revealed with my buddy Michael Felder. And we're going to be talking about all of that stuff. So you can watch that on the Bleacher Report app or on Max, formerly HBO Max. So this is my, my streaming service debut will be Tuesday night. So you can watch that there when the rankings are revealed around 9 p.m. Eastern time. So right as this show's ending. Also, I will be adding to this show in podcast form. So if you're not already subscribed to the podcast feed, what are you waiting for? We're on every major podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it. So just type in Andy Staples on three, subscribe to it, and it'll be in your phone on Wednesday morning when you wake up and you can hear everything I have to say about the CFP rankings. I, I'm going to predict that Georgia jumps to number one. We'll see if I'm right about that. If you're listening in podcast form, you already know the answer to this. So you can laugh at me if I'm wrong. But I think Georgia moves to number one. But that's how you do it. Subscribe to the podcast. Check us out on Max or on the Bleach Report app. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know who else is having fun right now? Oregon fans. You know why? Because they're keeping their coach. Texas A&M fired Jimbo Fisher the other day. Dan Lanning, the Oregon coach, top of the list. And let me, let me tell you something about how we do these lists. When I make a hot board for a coaching search, it's not everybody I think will take the job. It's a mix of people who I think will want the job that maybe the school's not going to call, or maybe they are going to call them, and the people who I definitely think the school will inquire about whether they want the job or not. Because sometimes you don't know. You know, I go back to a couple of years ago. None of us thought that Lincoln Riley was going to leave Oklahoma and he goes to USC. And then a few hours later, Brian Kelly is leaving Notre Dame to go to LSU. A month before that, none of us would have predicted either of those two moves. So you got to throw the names out there you think the school's going to inquire about. Dan Lanning was the first name that came to mind for Texas A&M if you're Texas A&M. If you're Ross Bjork, the AD, if you're among the people making that decision, you're looking at pedigrees, you're looking at achievements. Dan Lanning is the obvious choice. That doesn't necessarily mean you can get him. And Dan Lanning made it abundantly clear on Monday that he ain't going anywhere. Program, um, I guess the reality here is one, our, our, my name and uh, our program would never be in the, a topic of conversation for another school if, if we didn't have something here that everybody else wanted. And the reason we have something here uh, that everybody else wants, that's because of what our players, our coaches, the support that exists here at Oregon have created. I think I've been really, really clear here since day one. Uh, everything I want exists right here. I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance that I would be coaching somewhere else. Um, I've got unfinished business here. There's a lot that I want to accomplish. Uh, here at Oregon, my number one priority is being elite um, here at Oregon. And we have the resources, the tools. Um, anybody that can't understand why you would want to be here at this place doesn't understand exactly what exists here, right? Like what I've said before, with a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old, to be able to raise your uh, family in a community like this, 
to be able to compete for uh, championships and have the ability to get the resources you need. You know, a lot of coaches hang on to these moments and they don't do anything or don't say anything, one, because they don't want egg on their face when they decide to do something else, right? Two, because they're concerned about things that I'm not concerned about, like getting a better contract. Like, I'm taken care of extremely well here at Oregon. I have the resources I need here at Oregon to be really, really successful. I'm not motivated by that. I'm motivated by winning. I'm motivated by being elite here. Um, and our players deserve my complete focus. Uh, our fans deserve the best uh, product on the field. So it's outside noise. It didn't matter before. It doesn't matter now. I'll continue to say it till I'm blue in the face. I want to be here at Oregon. Uh, that hasn't changed. That won't change. He didn't just say he was staying. He, he cut a damn promo that the WWE would be proud of, that becomes a great recruiting pitch for Oregon. Now, here's the thing about this. If conference realignment didn't happen, I don't know that he says it that way. But Oregon's going to the Big Ten. Oregon does have lots of resources. Oregon has a great collective in Division Street, taking care of the NIL part of it. And they're in the Big Ten. The, the job Oregon will be when the conference switch happens is better than Texas A&M right now. I know what you're thinking if you're saying Texas A&M, they have all this money. Yes, they have all this money. Yes, they're located near more recruits. Yes, they're in the SEC. But here's the thing. If you're trying to figure out, do I have a good job, a job that I should stay at, or should I look around? There's a few questions you should ask. Question number one. This is the first question starting in 2024 is my job in the big 10 of the sec if the answer is yes we can move to question two if the answer is no then yeah you're probably going to consider moving to something in the sec of the big 10 so the answer is yes for dan for dan lanning his job's in the big 10 the next question you need to ask is can i finish regularly in the top three in my conference if I'm in the Big Ten of the SEC? Because if you can answer yes to that, you have a great job and you should not go anywhere. Maybe if Alabama or Ohio State called, maybe. But you probably shouldn't leave. You're probably in a great spot. So if you're Dan Lanning, you ask that question. Can I finish regularly in the top three of the Big Ten as it will be constituted in 2024? The answer to that is yes. Oregon's played for the national title twice since 2010. They've won multiple Pac-12 titles. They have access to players, even though there aren't a lot nearby. They've been great at recruiting nationwide. That, this goes back to the way Nike marketed them. It really goes back to Mike Bellotti and company and, and figuring out how to make them a nationwide brand. But that O, everybody knows what that O means, whether you're in Miami whether you're in Portland, Oregon, whether you're in Los Angeles, whether you're in Boston, everybody knows what that O means. They can go anywhere and get players. Texas A&M is a really good job, but for whatever reason, Texas A&M has never been able to get over the hump. They've not been able to compete for national titles. Oregon has been able to compete for national titles recently. It's a better job if it's in the Big Ten. If the Pac-12 had stayed together, Different story. Different story. Dan Lanning might entertain an SEC offer or a Big Ten offer at that point. But now he has the better job because he can answer yes to those two questions. 
Is the job of the Big Ten or the SEC? Yes. Can I finish in the top three in my league on a regular basis? Yes. That means you're in the playoff when it's a 12-team playoff. That means you're legitimately competing for a national title. He can do that there. They'll take care of him financially. And the thing about Dan Lanning, and I understand why Oregon people get nervous about this, because Willie Taggart stayed there a year and then left for Florida State. Mario Cristobal was there for a very short time, and then he left for Miami. Both of those guys, though, were going home. Willie Taggart grew up in Bradenton, Florida, always dreamed of playing for or coaching at Florida State. My, uh, Mario Cristobal played at Miami. He's from Miami. His family's in Miami. That made sense. Dan Lanning's from Missouri. He's not going home with any of these jobs. This is a different scenario entirely. In fact, there aren't any jobs around where he's from where you can answer yes to both of those questions. There are, there's an SEC school, Missouri, but you're not answering yes to question two at Missouri. Now, they're, they can answer yes this year, but Eli Drinkwitz has done a really good job this year. Is that going to be an every-year thing? It'd be really hard to be an every-year thing, given the competition they face. Oregon has been competitive since Mike Bellotti was the head coach. They were competitive under Bellotti. Chip Kelly took them to new heights. Mark Helfrich made a national title game. Mario Cristobal won the league. It's a better job right now than Texas A&M. And I know the Texas A&M people don't want to hear that, but until they get over that hump, until somebody comes in and figures out how to unlock all that potential, it's still not a better job than a place where you can be successful right now. Like going into the Big Ten, I don't know where Oregon will be predicted to finish in its first year in Big Ten play, but my guess is it's going to be three, maybe four. And if you win a game or two, then you're potentially one or two. That's the thing. It is a great job. And we have to start looking at things the way they're going to be starting next year. Because I think we, we've, we all are guilty of this. Everything's been this way for so long. We talk about the Power Five. There's no Power Five three weeks from now. The Power Five ceases to exist. Once the, the, the Pac-12 championship game gets played on that Friday night, there is no more Power Five. There's a Power Two. So every job from this point on, you have that two-question test, and you can figure out if the person should leave or not. Am I in the Big Ten of the SEC? If the answer is yes, can I finish in the top three of my league on a regular basis? If the answer is yes, you stay. The answer is yes for Dan Lanning. That's why he's staying. When we come back, J.D. Piquel, my partner at On3, will join us. We're going to take a whip around of the five Power Five conferences. Yes, I know. I said it ceases to exist in three weeks. No more Power Five. But while we got it, we're going to enjoy it. So we're whipping around all the Power Five conferences when we come back. Two guys in rowback, me and J.D. Piquel. You heard, you know J.D., he's the host of The Hard Count here at On3. I hope you're watching that every Tuesday and Thursday live. You're subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel, obviously. If you're not, what are you doing? Because you get this guy in your feed all the time. And yes, I said two guys wearing rowback, the performance hoodie, 
the greatest garment known to man. Roback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. The promo code is STAPLES. You get 20% off your first order. Performance hoodies, Q-zips, polos. The Performance Crew, I saw JD Mm. wearing one of those yesterday, Mm. fills it out very nicely. (laughs) Also here, there might be some fleece coming from Roback as winter approaches. So yeah, go load up at Roback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Staples is your promo code. 20% 20% off your first order, you will be as luxurious as we are. Mm. And that's a good place to be. All right, JD, we got to talk. We're going to have a conference check in. We're, we're whipping around the Power Five Love it. before the Power Five ceases to exist in about two weeks. Uh, this is going to be a crazy stretch run. So much going on. But let's start in the SEC where there are two jobs open now, which the, the Mississippi State, when we knew was coming, the Texas A&M one, I think if you thought it through, you knew it was going to happen. But it was still one of those where you see the Jimbo Fisher fired and the, your mind does the tally of the $76 million buyout. And you're like, how? <laughs> but what do you think happens at Texas A&M? Who, who, who are you rooting for to get that job? Who would you like to see as, as the head Aggie? You know, I think there's so many names that get thrown around with – you know, Dan Lanning and Lane Kiffin. And to me, when I think about what A&M needs, it feels like they need more of a substance and structural hire. Not that both those guys couldn't work. It just feels like you kind of get back on the hype train, high expectations. See, I, th- I don't think Lanning's a hype hire. I just don't think Lanning's going to leave. I think, For sure. No, I think because, because Oregon is now a Big Ten job. Mm-hmm. And they have resources and they have proof of concept where they played for the national title twice in 13 years. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that's a be- I don't think AM's a better job than Oregon. No, 100%. 100%. And I mean, speaking of substance, I mean, rooted in substance, Dan yeah. Lanning. So, I mean, there's definitely that box is checked, but I'm with you. I think that Dan Lanning would be tough to go away from Oregon. I think Lane Kiffin, you're kind of getting back on the, on the hype train of high expectations. I like Mike Elko. I think he's structured. I think he's done more with less. And I think he is a differentiator in the sense that he's been at AM. Yeah. And Andy, you know this, like, it's a different it's a different thing you're signing up for if mm-hmm. you go be a part of what they're doing in Bryan College Station. So I think the fact there wouldn't be this big acclamation of getting Texas A&M, he knows, I like it. He, he knows it. And that's the thing. Like Texas A&M can be a shock to the system mm-hmm. if you don't know it, if you've never worked there before, if you've never recruited in Texas before. Elko's done all that stuff. and But you're right. He's done the less with more, and he's been – I think that's interesting about Elko, and I hadn't thought about it this way, but you know, Elko came up with Dave Clawson – Bowling Green, Wake Forest. But then he goes to Notre Dame. He goes to Texas A&M. So he's been at the places where the expectations are massive and the resources are massive. Mm-hmm. So you've seen him be successful in a, at, you know, in a different job at that type of place. But then you've seen him do less with more. Because the question I always have when, when you've got someone who can do less with more, sometimes the guy who can do less with more can't do more with more. Yep. yep. I think you know, Dan Mullen's an, a, an example of that, where he was great at Mississippi State. He was good at Florida until it became clear that he wasn't capable of beating Alabama and Georgia for recruits regularly, which is a requirement if you would like to play for national titles. And so it's different. Those are different jobs. Duke's a different job than Texas A&M. So the question is, can you do more with more? I'll give you another example from Florida, though. Urban Meyer did less with more at Utah Mm. and then absolutely did more with more at Florida and at Ohio State. So that... That's one of those that we don't know until we see that person in the job. But I agree with you on Elko. I feel like he's a good fit there. And what we've seen him do at Duke, where 
their athletic profile is so much better than it was before he got there. And that's a hard place to build a team of really good athletes. 100%. I mean, another guy that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on is is Chris Kleiman because he kind of fits that same mold, but there's that bigger question mark of, okay, well, can you actually do more with more? You think you can because, I mean, three stars at Mm -hmm. Kansas State and what did at the FCS level, but that is a a very different beast going to the SEC, being in College Station. Is that a fit? That would be my number two if I'm A&M. I don't know. See, if I'm going to go guy who's won everywhere, lower level, Leipold is the guy I would Hmm. go with. and it's so funny that there are two, these two great coaches both working in the state of Kansas right now with Kleiman and Leipold. Uh, but Leipold would be my guy if I wanted to do it that way. Kleiman, it definitely feels like Kansas State and, and North Dakota State are fairly similar jobs, even though North Dakota State's expectations within the FCS are so much higher. Mm-hmm. But they're very developmental jobs. You got The other thing about Kleiman, and I don't think people think about this as much as they should, when you've got a quarterback – you better not leave unless it's perfect. Because hmm. Kleiman's got Avery Johnson right now at Kansas State. Yeah. And I think Avery Johnson could be a superstar. And so you got to be really careful leaving that behind. And obviously, if AM's going to dump, you know, dump a bunch of money in your lap, you're probably going to think about that. Mm-hmm. But that's one thing. If I'm Chris Kleiman, I'm very selective because I've got my quarterback of the future. And I, I don't know if that's what I want to do. But that's another good one, substance over, over flash. Mm. I do think – this is why I mentioned Sharon Moore for this job. And I, I, I do think if Harbaugh leaves, Sharon Moore would obviously be the favorite at Michigan. But what if Harbaugh stays Yeah, and decides he wants to be there for a while? Like Sharon Moore is ready to be a head coach right now. And being a good offensive line developer travels. Like I don't care that he's not worked in, in the South necessarily. I mean, he, he played at Oklahoma. Yeah. Like he understands how all this stuff works. Like I, I want someone who can develop people on the lines of scrimmage, whether that's D line. Oh, I don't care. I want someone who understands that. And Sharon Moore absolutely understands that. So I would, I would do my homework if I'm Ross Bjork on him and at least inquire because the one thing A&M does need to think about is they don't need to get roped into a, a contract where they are tied to this and have to pay this massive bill. Like the idea of hiring a coordinator is not the worst thing in the world where you may not have to lock yourself into this massive contract. I mean, look, a coordinator of the level of Sharon Moore is going still to command a decent buyout. For sure. But not like Jimbo Fisher, not like a sitting head coach right now would. And before you say, well, why would you hire a coordinator? Kirby Smart was a coordinator when he got hired. Dabo Sweeney was a receivers coach when he got hired. Ryan Day was a coordinator when he got hired. Guess what? They're pretty good. Lincoln Riley was a coordinator when he became a head coach. Yep. It's it's not it, it's probably about the same percentage wise. And I think like the happiness around College Station with hiring a coordinator, there would be that immediate like, uh, really? But I think like what you said is on the money, the context around where that coordinator's from. Like Sharon Moore could go be a head coach at a lot of Power Five schools it, tomorrow. If, if you're a, a good offensive line guy, and Alex Atkins at Florida State yes, is another yep, another yeah, example yeah. of this. I don't know that Alex definitely would, would qualify for the AM job, but I think he's probably getting a head coaching job after this season. Like if you are a good developer of offensive linemen, it does not matter where you're from. It does not matter where you've recruited. You're good at offensive line. You'll figure it out. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, in, in the same vein, like from that 
coordinator hiring train of thought, there would be the immediate feel of like, really, because we can take a big swing if we're Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. We, we can go and throw money at the big names we talked about already in this segment in, in Lane Kiffin and Dan Lanning. Um, but if you hire a coordinator from the right spot, I mean, you could strike gold, like you said, with Absolutely. a guy like Kirby Smart or Ebo Sweeney. All right. Mississippi State open now, too. This is one where it feels like they've got some good group of five head coach options, which it's been hard lately to jump from the group of five to an SEC job to a Big Ten job because they tend to go for coordinators. But there's there a couple like Manny Diaz, who's been there D.C. a couple times. Mm. He's the D.C. at Penn State. He's one I'd look at. Glenn Schumann, the D.C. at Georgia. If you're looking for the, that next Dan Lanning, that's one I'd look at. But I think, J.D., there's, there's a few good group of five head coaches. John Summerall at Troy – uh, Rhett Lashley at SMU, like those are guys you should seriously consider. I like Jamie Chadwell. I didn't uh, even think about any ideas. Yeah. Jamie Chadwell makes a lot of sense to me, and just from a sheer philo- uh, philosophical perspective, mm-hmm. rather, it feels like you're in the SEC. You're playing the Georgias up front. You're playing the Bamas up front. The LSU historically, like it feels like you need to kind of zig where other people are zagging. Yep. That spread option offense. Yep. I think that could be the answer for that. I like that from a schematic standpoint because you become a team that becomes hard to prepare for because they, they use triple option concepts, but they're spread out and they they attack vertically. It's actually like you go back to Tom Osborne in the mid '90s mm. where the triple option was Nebraska's play action, basically. <laughs> That's what Liberty's doing right now. Yeah. Like and and now would you leave Liberty after year? I don't know. And Liberty's an interesting one because they can pay way more than most schools at that level can pay. So potentially, you know, they they could offer him a, a sweetheart offer that makes it hard, but good SEC jobs don't open very often. Right. Yeah. But I mean going back to the the personnel that they maybe don't have in house at Mississippi State, yeah. that could kind of be your I don't know what the right word would be, kind of your bridge, if you will, mm-hmm. to being able to beat those teams. I mean, and, and historically, that's what they tried to do with Mike Leach when he was exactly. there. I mean, rest in peace, Mike Leach. But when they went with the air raid, that mm-hmm. was kind of their answer. And what they were doing defensively was Zach Arnett. That three-three-five is essentially like playing yeah. the triple option, except on the other side of the ball. Yeah. So I, I think I think you're onto something there. We'll see. We'll get to check the tape and Let find out in a the, few few weeks. That's few right. <laughs> Let us move to the ACC, where Florida State appears headed to an undefeated season. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're in good shape here. I think they're going to beat Florida. They should be able to beat Louisville. We'll see. I, Louisville's going to be an interesting one because they, they're very up and down despite being 9-1. and one. But, you know, what do you think happens this week, Louisville-Miami? Yeah. I'll, it's, cl- it's close. Right? We're Spreads doing, tight. Thinking about <laughs> yeah. it really, really hard, especially with how hard Miami pushed Florida State the week before. Yeah. There's kind of this thought of, well, how do you circle the wagons and did you empty the tank against your rival? Um, but Louisville didn't look that impressive against Virginia. Now, was that, you know, some weeknight magic that uh, Virginia's yeah. getting Thursday together? You know, a strange you time. <laughs> can never yeah. tell. Uh, I think to me, it does come down to Jamari Thrash and his effectiveness for Louisville. I mean, when he's on and when they're feeding him accordingly, like, one of the most explosive players in the country. Yeah. And so that kind of be the differentiator. He could be their Marvin Harrison Jr. against Penn State in that game. We've also seen Miami now, not not in the Mario Cristobal era, but we have seen Miami defensively get just shredded in the run game. Like, could Jawar Jordan have a big game? Mm-hmm. And, and Josh Newberg brought up an, an interesting point on the pick show. Uh, Josh, who's covered Florida State for years and years, said, you know, it, it tends to be when Miami loses to Florida State that it costs them a couple more games down the line. Hmm. They, they kind of just can't mentally recover and they did put a lot of eggs in that basket like they played great against florida state awesome. compared to how they've been playing so we'll, we'll see but that'll be that'll be an interesting one 
the ACC needs Florida State to be undefeated. Yeah. Like, that. that's how they get in the playoff. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Clemson upswing. Did Tyler from Spartanburg say Clemson season? <laughs> it feels like he definitely did his part. Like, in, in terms of what you had to do as a fan calling in, yeah. uh, he took a lot of backlash for it now. I don't know if he was trending on Twitter. Do he's you probably he's close. A plant? I don't, I don't. I don't buy he's a yeah. plant. I mean, I, I get why people would think that because he got off a full sonnet when he was doing the <laughs> call-in show. <laughs> and I was just like, if I'm Dabo, I'm like, are you not going to cut this guy off? Um, I don't think he's a plant, but I think he will uh, He will be remembered forever, depending on how Clemson finishes this season and goes forward next season. All right, give him a game ball, if nothing else, from the Notre Dame. Give game. him a T-shirt. Give him a nice little <laughs> windbreaker. I would see those on the side. Those are nice. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let us move to the Big 12. Fascinating situation in Ames. Mm. If Texas goes up there and loses, we're not even going to bother trying to figure out the, the tiebreakers because it's a fool's errand. Yes. But Jonathan Brooks tears his ACL. Texas has Quinn Ewers back, but obviously loses their best running back. C.J. Baxter will have to pick up a slack. Do you think Iowa State can pull this off? I think they can just for the sheer fact that it's Ames. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where you're trying to break the game down and we're looking at matchups and looking at scheme and you're just like, well, this is in Ames, Iowa, so it may not matter at Haycock's all. There might be something that happens. Like, that defense will have a, a plan without for question. Viewers. Without question. Now, I, I still think there's a, there's a possibility that the JT Sanders, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, A.D. Mitchell, like, it's just too much. It's stupid, yeah. But if they make some mistakes and that crowd stays in it, because I've, I've been there. I've, I was on the field when they stormed it after Oklahoma State in 2011. That's awesome. And, I mean, that, that crowd was hyped. The entire, it was cold. Sure. It's dark. Like, I don't know. It's, it feels like they, it's, they call it Hilton magic in their basketball arena. Hmm. I don't know if there's Jack Trice magic, but <laughs> I guess we'll find out we'll on We'll find Saturday. out. And it feels like, too, for Texas, like the last couple of weeks – I believe of their last four wins, they've won three of them by one score. And some yeah. of that you say, well, hey, Quinn Ewers wasn't playing. Totally fair. But, like, we're messing around with TCU. I'm, I'm, I'm watching that game before flipping it over to the other night game because it's actually going to be interesting at the oh, finish. Yeah. Like, are they treading water? Was it Quinn Ewers was rusty? Like, yeah, where, where are like, we at? It feels like Sark kind of just pulled back on the reins a little bit and was like, eh, we're good. We're hoping. We're hoping they for were 20, things they were at, at Texas. 26-6, to six, though. Yeah. And, like, I keep waiting for Texas to just blow – blow somebody out mm -hmm. and they did that against kansas but they didn't against kansas state obviously they were the backup quarterback but they didn't against tc like and against houston and, yeah. and same situation kind of got got back into the game when he was getting hurt yeah you gotta see it pac-12 is really interesting this week yeah my goodness there's so many like even that friday night game with colorado washington state like losers of six in a row versus losers of five of six coach prime trying to grab a win Jake Dickert, you know, goes from being one of the hottest coaches in the country to now he can't figure out. Like, they keep losing. They've lost the last two games by three. Mm -hmm. One was 10 7, one was 42 39. Like, none of that makes sense. You think Coach Prime gets another win this season? I don't. I oh, don't just just because of the sheer fact of and we, we had this thought too, even during the season, like, hey, this team, they're hot, they're 3 0, vibes are high, but it's also a completely new roster what happens when they start losing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it's a thing where one loss has led to the next, but it's starting to feel like once that thing gets moving in a certain direction, 
with a bunch of guys that didn't know each other before the season. You just you wonder where they're competitively at. And so Washington State, I mean, kind of in that same situation. If I'm coming down to picking this one, I just think the line of scrimmage for, for Washington yeah. State is probably better than what Colorado has, which isn't saying a ton, but I think that's the difference. So Washington, Oregon State, another very interesting game. Big one at Reeser. But I want to go a little somewhere else in the conference. Not a game necessarily. UCLA getting the vibes that Chip Kelly may be in trouble there. And you think about it, you're like, okay, well, like, but they kept extending him. Mm-hmm. But the idea that they're going into the Big Ten feels like if you're going to press a reset button, maybe this is the time you press it. Yeah, and it's funny because, like you said, like there's nothing from the outside looking into the house noticeably wrong. Like you look at the record, like, Hey, there's six, there's six and that, four. The quarterback plays. The Arizona dicey. state result was one of the most shocking ones this season. Where sure. You see the score and you're like, huh? Sure. Definitely. And you know, Chip Kelly, a guy who specializes in offense for that to be the result. But no, when, when I look at UCLA, um, I think like you said, it's, it's a hundred percent true moving into a conference where one, you're going to have to be better than the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And UCLA has some ground to make some up. Really there. good pass rushers there, but good pass. O-line rushers. is not what they thought it was going to be this year. And you got to acquire talent. And, yeah. and, Chip, and Chip Kelly, for all the things that he's phenomenal at, recruiting isn't necessarily no. like right in his wheelhouse. Like if they had like those Jim Mora era rosters yeah. coached a little bit differently, mm-hmm. like that's a team that can compete in the Big Ten. Absolutely. Josh Rosen when he was rolling. Jaleel Wadud playing safety. Oh, they uh, had some guys. Oh, yeah. Anthony I mean, Barr. Yeah. They had some guys. That's a throwback. They, they, Miles they had Jack. some dudes. Yep. On those rosters. Yeah. And he would like Jalen Phillips when when he signed there was mm-hmm. a massive recruit. Like they just have not done that under Chip Kelly. But you knew that. Mm-hmm. Like Chip Kelly had a choice between the UCLA and the Florida jobs. And I think wisely took UCLA because he knew he was not going to be expected to bring in the five star talent. But that was before the conference move. Like, if you gotta play Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, and oh by the way, still have to play Washington and USC and Oregon, like you better have some dudes on your team. Especially in a state that's so talent-rich yeah. in California. I mean, the Trinity League's right there. I'm not saying it's Florida or Texas, but by nature of how much talent you have access to, it's like, yeah. hey. They're the it, most populated state in the country. You don't got to get on a jet. <laughs> yeah, yeah you exactly. can You can get in the car, go down 55 South, and be in good shape to yeah. go find some good talent. Yeah, so I, that's going to be a fascinating one to watch. That game with USC will be interesting because – Look, USC's trending in the wrong direction as well, but they're going to hire a new defensive coordinator. We'll see if Lincoln Riley can get things going on the recruiting trail. But the Pac-12 in general is, in its final three weeks, nothing but storylines. So awesome. It's crazy. So awesome. Like like throwing a party in the house before you sell it, that's what they're doing <laughs> yeah. this year. It's the, the way par- it feels. The party may be in Corvallis this week. Who knows? <laughs> yes. We'll see. That They're actually, Oregon State's favored in that game. At this, as, as we're recording this, they're favored. That may flip again, but just wild. All right, let's go to the Big Ten. Love it. Where if we're talking crazy, interesting, there's a court hearing yep. that will determine who will coach on the sidelines against Maryland. Will it be Sharon Moore or will it be Jim Harbaugh? Who you got? Let me, let me, do, you, do you know this uh, Timothy Connors? Do you know, do you know his history? Do what's you, what's you, the line? Is there, exactly. is there any betting odds on, on Harbaugh being well, on the sideline? So Connors was assigned the case originally, and then there was another judge that, that picked it up, and that judge had presided over the Connor Stallions versus the HOA wow. case. Wow. <laughs> but then she wasn't. Going to all Connors took it back, so it's. I, I love this that everybody's like, Well, 
what cases is he trying? Who does it? How does he trend? Who's he lean towards? It's like an episode of Suits, is what it feels like. It's the best episode of Suits, yeah. JD. I'm glad you said that. I've yeah. been I've been working my way back through the seasons. So. Yeah, I haven't finished it yet. I haven't finished it yet. So I'm I'm. I watched season it when six. it came out originally. I was a okay. big US, USA Network Blue Skies guy. Like, yep. can't wait until next summer when everybody discovers Royal Pains. Yeah, or uh, Psych, or or Monk. Psych's been out there. Like, yeah, I don't know. The people didn't pick up on Psych, but I'm telling you, they're gonna love Royal Pains. But yes, this is the best episode of Suits. Like, this would have been an entire season-long arc of Suits. For sure. Like, Lewis Litt and Jim Harbaugh would have gotten along famously. Like that? <laughs> they, like, Lewis Litt and, and Harvey would have had to form a grudging alliance mm-hmm. because Harvey would need Lewis to communicate with Jim Harbaugh. And Mike Ross would have probably had a heart for Connor Stallions. Oh, he Mike Ross and he Connor would Stallions just would have been peas been awesome. Pot. Would have been yes. awesome. Yeah, that's been your Suits review. There we go. If you haven't been re-watching Suits on Netflix, you don't know what you're missing. There we go. But I don't think it matters who coaches Michigan in this game. I think they're going to beat the doors off of of Maryland. But this has been a weird spot in past years for Ohio. I I do find it interesting that the league decided to put Michigan in this spot instead of Ohio State with the at Maryland look-ahead game going into that game. Just sprinkled it right in there. Because Ohio State, like you said, last year they they were in College Park. And it it came down to the very end. And then, I mean, Michigan in this same spot a season ago against Illinois, Mm -hmm. they kind of struggled. Now, Illinois was a bit better and matched up much better than Maryland. But no, I think 100%. I mean, if Maryland, maybe they wake up that day, dangerous man with nothing to lose, you, you you, you never know. So I still think Michigan rolls, though, to be clear. You think Iowa's going to win the West? I feel like they've, they've like reasserted it, their right? dominance in the West. It feels like it. It's one of those things where it's like, what is going on over there? It's kind of like the Pac-12, like the last year of that side of the conference, and they're just doing backflips and somersaults and not scoring touchdowns and hitting unders. Yeah. Like it's, it's a total inverse of what you see in, in the Pac-12 with a, ton of, with a ton of points, and it's awesome. I love it. I just feel like Iowa and Minnesota are sitting there going, we, we got to – we got to make this count, mm-hmm. and Illinois as well. We got to make this count because next year Oregon's coming in, USC's coming in. Like yeah. we're getting pushed down the stack. Feels like Nebraska. If you had been able to somehow, some way, get Matt Rule a year earlier, oh yeah, and you build for that second year. Like I think Nebraska's gonna be fine. They do need to win this week. Yep. Like they need to beat Wisconsin, which is not having a great couple weeks. Because Nebraska needs to get bowl eligible. Yep. And I'm not sure I like them to get bowl eligible against Iowa. No. Even though they won with an interim staff last year against the Hawkeyes. Like, I, I, they need to win this week and, and get that number six. Yeah, without question. I mean, if you can do that in your first year for Matt Rule, like, historically, it's his first huge. year has been awful. Right. And because he's taken over such rebuilds at Temple and at yep. Baylor, and those programs were in very different spots. And so if you're Nebraska and you get bowl eligible, I think you feel very validated of the last couple of years with preseason hype around the Scott Frost era. Like, hey, we, we got the guys. We just needed the right driver of this whole thing. J.D., appreciate it. Tons of storylines everywhere around the country. We have just taken you from coast to coast in like 25 minutes. Yep. And walked through suits. Walked through suits. Yeah. Beautiful. Yep. Again, I, I really do think if you want to reboot the show, capitalize on the popularity from the Netflix bump that it's gotten. Mm. You reboot the show with a season where they defend Michigan in the sign-stealing case. I don't know that you can get Meghan Markle now. She's royalty. She's probably pretty, Tough pretty get. expensive. So, Tough get. So Rachel Zane probably not back. But everybody else? Like the guy who played Lewis had a great bit part on Billions, but Billions is done. Mm. It's, time to, it's time to bring those people home. You need A&M or Jimbo Fisher to fit the bill to get a reboot going. And then we can get Meghan Markle oh, in too. Oh, do you think – well, 
Is Jimbo Fisher funding it because he's just rich now? Or I think either one. Is he a client? We might have to do two seasons. Because, to yeah, I think so. Because So Jimbo Fisher uses his buyout money to increase his stake in cattle farming. Perfect. And then you know some corporate raider comes in trying to buy him out of his cattle farms or maybe he's trying to poison his cattle. <laughs> and Jimbo Fisher hires... You know, Pearson Specter lit to to take care of it. I'm so in. I'm so in. Oh, done. That I mean, that would that would do ridiculous numbers. Like talking about reboot. That you're all the way back at that point. I don't know who. Like, if is Netflix going to make it an original? Whoever does it, whatever production company, we are available. We'll write your scripts for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When we return, Paul Jones of Maroon and White Daily on three's Mississippi State site will join us to talk about the Bulldogs job opening. Could Dan Mullen be a candidate to come back? Will they go for a power five head coach? Will it be a group of five head coach? Lots of options for the Bulldogs. We welcome Paul Jones of Maroon and White Daily on Three's Mississippi State site. And Paul, you got a coaching search to cover. It's an interesting one because Mississippi State in a in a strange situation. They let go of Zach Arnett after less than a season, but obviously his was kind of an extended interim after the passing of Mike Leach. It feels like there's quite a few good sitting head coach options for them, plus a former successful Mississippi State head coach just sitting out there on TV. What do you think is going to happen here in the next few few weeks? You know, obviously, uh, you can whether they got rid of Zach Arnett Monday or after the Egg Bowl, you can still make talks with agents. You can still do the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, so I don't think that really. Maybe it moves up the timeline a little bit, but you know, I have a feeling that Zach Selman wants to find some stability. Um, the, like I said, this program is. Is looking for his fifth new head coach since 2017. And, mm. uh, you know, to me, that kind of points to him trying to find a sitting power five head coach. Um, you know, he mentioned on Monday, Zach Selman said he's not, he's keeping an open mind. Young, old coordinator, sitting P5 coach, G5 coach, he wants to keep an open mind. But, you know, I feel like he's going to go after some big fish early on and see how that plays out. But, uh, Obviously, in this day and age with the transfer portal, December signing period, we're probably looking at a two-week process here before they get somebody in here. Yeah, Zach Selman, former Joe Castiglione lieutenant at Oklahoma. Uh, Joe, his history is defensive coordinator Bob Stoops, offensive coordinator Lincoln Riley, defensive coordinator Brent Venables. But but it's interesting because I, I you know, you and I were talking before we started recording and, and we both talked to a bunch of people and it does seem like this, the, the group of sitting head coaches would be the one that, that Zach Selma may go for first here. I agree. And, um, you know, this is a program that obviously you're in the sec. Um, this is a program that 
you're fixing to welcome Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC. And, you know, I think that's why he kind of pulled the plug early on Coach Arnett uh, because you can't sit around and wait while your rival is looking at a 10-2 and two season and possible mm-hmm. New Year's Day Bowl. You got, like I said, Texas, Oklahoma coming in. Uh, this is a program that – and, of course, you know, let's be fair here. Zach Arnett was thrown into almost an impossible situation. I mean, this could be a, a program where, you know, if Coach Leach doesn't tragically pass away, is – you know, winding down another eight, nine win season, uh, another solid bowl game. Uh, but, you know, I think they knew going in, especially when you look at the way they structured Zach's contract, uh, that they knew this is probably going to be a trial basis and see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out, hey, let's move on to something else pretty quick. So, um, you know, I, I think Zach knows football drives it here in Mississippi State uh, like he does at any SEC school. And you're going to have to get some stability. And I think he wants a proven power five head coach in here. So uh, I've had Lance Leipold on my hot board. He's one of those that's kind of on everybody's mind because of the the turnaround at Kansas. One I thought that was interesting that you had on your list was Gus Malzahn. Because, you know, I, I thought about that earlier today. Like, you know, Gus is at UCF. He seems happy. They're in the Big 12 now. But a chance to get back in the SEC doesn't. I would imagine that would intrigue him. I do. And, and you know, if you just being completely honest here, um, I think if he does get back in the SEC, I would think Arkansas would probably be the more likely scenario. Obviously, they uh, made some talks with Gus uh, before they hired Sam Pittman, and, and that was a situation where, you know, he, he didn't want to make the move then, but, you know, things could change by now. Yeah. What, what what's the cat's name, by the way? Nah, he doesn't know. <laughs> he, for those listening in podcast form, Paul's cat is a is is just <laughs> That's a my ham. Source. That's right, is a ham. Just wants to be on camera at all times. Uh, <laughs> so so Paul, uh, some group of five guys I know would really want the job. You got John Summerall at Troy. You got Rhett Lashley at SMU. Um, Jamie Chadwell at Liberty is another one that I think would, would probably be really interested. What's the chances that that those guys get any traction? You know, I think Chadwell is very intriguing. Um, you know, I know there's been rumors of obviously he's he's paid well at Liberty. Uh, yeah. You know, that's that surprises some people. But Liberty's got money and uh, you don't know the exact terms of his buyout. And, you know, I think if this was. I think Red Lashley is a very attractive candidate too, and I think if this was previously two years ago, that he may be my odds-on favorite to get the job. But now you look at SMU; we know they got a ton of money, and they're fixing to go to the ACC. Uh, if that wasn't a factor, then I think he may be odds-on favorite to to make that move. Obviously, he's familiar with the SEC and had success mm-hmm. here. But um, you know, I think to me, Chadwell is very, very intriguing. Yeah, he's won everywhere he's been, wants to stay in the South, but has never he's never coached the power five level and he's never had to recruit as an assistant at the power five level. I think that's that's really been the knock. But I I don't know. I'm of the mind that if you win in a bunch of places, you can probably win anywhere, which I that's Lance Leipold at Kansas, it's Willie Fritz at Tulane. Like there's a few guys out there like that. I agree. And, and you know, it's such a different and you've been around the SEC. Man, it's such a different animal. It's such a different mm-hmm. mindset, and I've seen 
some coaches come in here that I thought would be successful just just get chewed up. You know, it's, yeah. it's so competitive, and uh, you know, it's a twenty four seven deal, and it's just a a situation where where coaches that I thought were really good coaches and and had a had a very good chance of succeeding just get chewed up and spit out. But you know, I think Chadwell. Um, that is a, a negative that he hasn't been in a power five, but I think you have to look at his success and, and, and what he's done at that level. Well, and I also think the the Mississippi state job and the Ole Miss job are different from the other sec jobs at the same level, because we're, we're not talking about Alabama or, or LSU or those are different kind of jobs, but all the jobs in the sec at that level, Mississippi state and Ole Miss, you can get more talent than the other ones because of the JUCO system, because of just, you know, the way people tend to still be under-recruited sometimes in the state of Mississippi. Exactly. Uh, that, I, I just think, because I, I go back to when, you know, Dan Mullen was there, think of the the level of talent that he was able to, to either develop or acquire. You know, Fletcher Cox, who was, a, you know, one of the best defensive linemen in the country when he was playing at Mississippi state, uh, when Dan left and, and Joe Moorhead took over, there are three first rounders sitting on that defense. Uh, that, that wouldn't make, that's what makes this so intriguing to me is that you can actually, you can have first round level talent. Whereas a lot of other places you can't, unless you're at Alabama or, at, or at LSU or, or Georgia. I think you got to have a good mixture too, Andy. I think, and this is where Dan was, was really good at his job with the evaluation process. You know, there's going to be guys in Mississippi, you just mentioned a couple, but you look at this year's cycle, it's no different. There's going to be guys you have to fight for. NIL is going to be a big factor with a lot of these guys, but you also have to be able to evaluate and project where those low three stars can, you know, that's where Dan was so good at his job. You know, yeah. he could take a low three star that probably played quarterback you know, look at Bernard McKinney and turn him into mm -hmm. an All-American linebacker. linebacker. You know, to be able to project like that and evaluate because you said it right, Mississippi kids are are very under undervalued because they haven't come close to reaching their peak yet, you know, because of, you know, they don't have big coaching staffs, not a good weight room, uh, play every sport under the sun in Mississippi. So when those kids get to college, you're, you're getting a raw product, but the ceiling is so high with those guys. Well, let's talk about Dan because he's sitting there on ESPN right now. He's really good on TV. He's obviously still, you know, he, he got a buyout from Florida, but he was really successful in nine years at Mississippi State. I, I've always argued that he kind of spoiled state fans because they started to think what he was doing there was normal. And it was probably the best job anybody's done there. Do you think he might entertain the possibility of coming back? Do you think Zach Selman might entertain the possibility of, of, of bringing him back? You know, I'm not sure if it gets to, to serious talks with Dan. You know, I, obviously people change their minds, especially when you've been out of the game. But I've I've always been under the impression, and this goes back to my talks with Dan when he was here, that he's probably done with coaching. And, and you know, he, he told us often, uh, even on the record, off the record when he was here, that he didn't want to coach much past his early 50s. He wanted to, mm -hmm. to be with his kids follow their dreams with sports. Uh, I know his son's a, a very avid golfer and he, he's very involved with that. Um, you know, outside of getting fired from Florida, what he told us a few years ago was exactly the path that he has taken. 
and has been out of college football. And, you know, I wonder if, if Dan has that competitive fire to be in the new NIL world, you know, because the knock against Dan was he was his recruiting um, right. evaluation and all that, man, he was, he was one of the best, but when it comes to the NIL era, I, I just wonder if he has the hunger for that. Well, and that's, that was my question with, with him as well, because I don't think at Mississippi state, you're expected to do what you're expected to do at Florida. Like Florida for the coach to be successful, you've got to be beating Georgia and Alabama for players regularly. And Dan wasn't doing that. Billy Napier's not winning games, but he is occasionally doing that on the recruiting trail. I just don't know. You don't have to do that at Mississippi State. It's not a requirement of the job. So, but but you're right. The the ferocity the ferocity of the NIL battles between Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, LSU will be involved in some of that too. Uh, Auburn, it is going to be pretty tough. I agree, and and to me that that was the biggest hang up, and 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 you know along those lines, is Dan going to bring back his normal staff that he had with him in Mississippi State and Florida, his buddies, or is he going to be? You know, this is all speculation, but if he did get back into it, is he going to go get an aggressive recruiting staff, uh, guys that that are accustomed to NIL and 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 fighting in the streets for these guys? So, uh, you know, we just. I think it's going to be a lot of people talking about that. And, you know, I'm sure Dan loves the attention and, mm-hmm. and, and people wondering if he's going to get back into coaching or not. But to me, it would be a complete shock uh, if he does coach again. Well, his uh, his on-air partner, Matt Berry at ESPN, uh, tweeted at me on, on Monday saying that they can't have him unless, uh, unless Matt can be the <laughs> chief of staff. So that, that might be the deal breaker there. So. <laughs> what 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 are we talking about in terms of, of timeline? Obviously, uh, the Bulldogs finished their season on Thanksgiving in the Egg Bowl. Uh, like you said, it's it's a tough spot for them to be watching Ole Miss have such a good year for the second year in a row, and that that's what they're trying to to catch up to. Um, when do you think that new person's in place? If I had to throw a timeline on it, Andy, I would probably say by the 1st of December at the latest. Uh, you've got official visitors still scheduled to come in here um, the first weekend of December. I don't think in this day and age you can forfeit a weekend of official visitors, uh, especially since you only have a couple weekends in December before the signing period comes. And a problem with Mississippi is we have the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game the third weekend of December. So that takes out a lot of kids in your recruiting footprint that can't come that weekend. Um, you know, the, the, the interesting thing too, Andy, and this, you've got guys on this recruiting staff here that have been here since Mullen was here originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that part don't always change. You know, it's kind of different than college basketball where everybody's completely different. Some of these recruiting staff members stay through coaching changes so they're going to be doing all of that, but you've got to get those certain people in here. All right, Paul, thank you so much, and uh, good luck covering that coaching search. Appreciate it, man. We go from a school with a lot of head coach options to one that definitely has its head coach locked in for a long time, whether the fan base is happy about that or not. But now Penn State is looking for an offensive coordinator, Sean Fitz of On3's Blue and White Illustrated joins us to discuss 
what happens next with the Nittany Lions after firing Mike Yersich. We welcome Sean Fitz from Blue White Illustrated on Three's Penn State site. It's been a busy week for you, Sean. Penn State loses to Michigan. James Franklin fires offensive coordinator Mike Yersich on Sunday. And I, I got to ask you, because I was at the game, and I have never heard fans of a good team boo the offensive play calling in the first quarter of a big game until Saturday. Yeah, I mean, that that is the, the first quarter of a big game, the second of two big games with Penn, with Ohio State and Michigan. And, you know, uh, Ted Lasso, season one, season finale, it's the hope that kills you. The Penn State fans yeah. had hope that this was the team that was going to get them over the hump. And I think they matched up well with Ohio State. And if they had a semblance of an offense, you never know what's going to happen there. And they didn't. And this is this is kind of where they found themselves in the first quarter on Saturday. No points. The points are what gives you hope. You can lose a game 45-38, and you still feel like you're just one or two plays away. Against Michigan, against Ohio State, you never thought, even when it was a four-point game for most of that Ohio State game, you still felt like the, the little brother who's being held at arm's length when the when the big brother just kind of gets him and and, and just uh you know sort of has their way with them in a fight like that. that that's kind of where you were at with, with that. If you're a Penn state fan and to see the lack of continuity, to see the lack of, I, I've been saying purpose for a couple of weeks now, it just, it, it wasn't there. And it, you know, it, it settled on Mike Yersich because that's the guy that got fired, but it starts at the top of James Franklin. Yersich certainly the way that they're playing the call or the, the way that they're calling the game was uh, not something that gave people much. Uh, they, 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 they seen that before, if that makes sense. And then beyond that, the the, the execution from the player le level, I, I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around that, that offensive side of the ball. Yeah, the the three and outs are, are incredibly frustrating. But the thing that I noticed is, is sort of mid-game, they'd have a, a nice, successful play on first down. Like there, there was a sequence where they, they gained nine yards on first down, lose one on second, get none on third, punt, and then – the next one was actually the touchdown drive, but they had to convert two fourth downs because they were so bad on second and third down. And it's like, I don't know. It, it, it feel, it felt like a little bit of lack of creativity. Like instead of on second and one, that's where you cut it loose because what do you have to lose? They're like, no, we're going to try to get that one yard. And Michigan was like, okay, we're not letting you get that one yard. You're going to try and get that one yard by throwing a, you know, little Bubble. banana there to the sideline. And yeah. like your horizontal, approach is going to give the defense time to to make that tackle tackle for loss is what it ended up being to a receiver who i think has caught one ball this year so like there there's just so many things it, it's like you know you, you talk about 4d chess and things like that and you're just completely off the board trying to uh outsmart the other guy and i mean that's a pretty pretty smart defensive coordinator on the other side but it, it, it's a situation in that we had a and i just talked about this on our show at blue White illustrated there was a, an exchange here where in our in-game thread, that that exact sequence happened, and some guy is mad. Says, "Well, that's so predictable." And someone came back, "No, it's not. It's not predictable." And that's the problem. It's so far gone, and not in a situation where you're catching the other person off guard. It's you're doing something that doesn't, you know, isn't going no, to work. Je most Jesse of the time Jesse Mentor, the Michigan defensive coordinator, is like, "Thank you for that," because yeah. on second and one, the playbook is wide open. You can do literally anything. And that is the worst thing you can possibly do. I mean, it's it, it, it's just unbelievable. And you saw that with the two-point conversion there at the end where you're running a swinging gate, muddle huddle, whatever you want to call it. 
who, who are you trying to outsmart? Who do you feel that you are so deficient in your offense that you have to go with this? You have to go with the trick play. Penn state has gone to a lot of trick plays this year. Halfback option passes. They threw a throwback to Drew Aller this week on fourth down. Like yeah. that is to me, that's coaching scared. Like to me, that is, that is acting like you don't think that you have the horses to do it. And maybe you don't have the weapons on the outside to get it done. But at the same time, like if you're in that situation where you think you need a trick play in the second quarter or a flea flicker in the third quarter to just get a limited amount of points, then you're kind of already there, right? Yeah. Well, and if you look at the other side of the coin in that game, you have a team that ran the ball 32 consecutive times. Like they, yeah. I, I've, it's funny because I have this conversation with, with coaches and there, there are a few that will do this. And, and the Jim Harbaugh tree is certainly, they all do this, but not, not many coaches actually do this where they just keep running the thing that works until you and, stop it. And, and what's interesting about that is they weren't running extremely well. They averaged 3.6 yards of carry 13 plays in the third quarter, yeah. 47 yards, one of three, one of three on third down. I mean, that's not that 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 is not a killer offense by any stretch of the imagination. 17 plays, 70 yards, 4.1 yards per carry. But that included a 30 yard touchdown in the in the fourth quarter. So mm -hmm. you ran 30 plays for 117 yards in the second half. I mean, they did it because they could just keep them at arm's length. This is this is Kirk Ferentz taking a or Kirk Ferentz taking a safety in a six four game because he's not scared of Penn State's yeah. offense. He's not you're you're not scared of that. How many times do you see Michigan go down and play for a field goal in as they did, you know, in the second half in in the third quarter there? How many times do you see them go down and essentially play for a field goal? Because you think if you're winning by eight or we're winning by seven or whatever it was at that point, if you're winning by one it went score, from five to eight with the field goal. You, you have an extreme advantage. And I think that that's the frustrating part. If you're James Franklin, if you're Manny Diaz, who, uh, yeah. you know, who is kind of on the hook for that hole they didn't throw in the second half thing. But at the same time, your defense wasn't wasn't bad. Like it wasn't a situation where you were just getting crumbled like you did in 2022 at the big house. So it, it was a fascinating, fascinating game just because Michigan was not scared of Penn State's offense. Yeah. And the, what they did also is you have a quarterback who's not in rhythm. What's the best way to keep him out of rhythm? Don't let him have the ball. And they were taking, it wasn't even because they were, you know, running as successfully as you, as you mentioned, they were taking so much time, not just time of game, but actually physical time where he had to stand there on the sideline. Yeah, it was an incredible, like I thought that game was under three hours and it should have been with, without TV timeouts because you were there on Saturday. I mean, you're going yeah. from touchdown timeout kickoff timeout uh guy gets hurt time i mean it was it was unbelievable how they got it was it was a big noon game that ended before all the other games that kicked off before it and and it was artificially like inflated in terms of game time because of uh, of yeah. the tv stuff and it was you know that it was it was a service academy game is what it was and yeah. you know yeah. credit to michigan for coming out and doing exactly what they thought they would do but like i mean they were they were three of eight on on third three of eight on third downs in the second half so like yes, they did a little bit of stay on the field, but that's a team that was fifty-five percent on third downs for the season. Like they they didn't live up to their standard and their expectation from there. It's just without being threatened on the other side. How how do you how do you approach this? So Jaywan Sider, Ty Hal take over the play calling. They were the co-offensive coordinators under Yursich. Uh, do you expect to see anything different these last couple of games? They're playing a pretty good defense in Rutgers this week. 
Yeah, uh, Rutgers does have a good defense. I think kind of the flip side of what we just saw with Michigan is I don't I don't know that Penn State fears uh, Rutgers scoring a ton of points, um, but you never know what can happen. It's November in the Big Ten. Um, yeah, I mean it, it, it's a situation where you're not going to change the offense in two weeks or whatever they have. They've got uh, Rutgers and then Michigan State next next Friday um, at Ford Field. Um, but I think you feel like they made this move because you just got to get a jump start on the next guy, obviously, but also because these these next two defenses you play are not going to threaten you in the sense that Michigan or Ohio State are going to. So I expect more of the same, but you've got a running backs coach calling the plays. You've got a tight ends coach calling the plays. Penn State has good tight ends. Um, we we think they have good running backs. They haven't played up to what we believe to be their potential. And, and actually, to be honest, what we saw from them last year. So I think a, a lot of running, a lot of... Uh, well, November Big Ten football uh, coming your way <laughs> with running backs and tight ends and things like that because Penn State, I just don't know that they have the option to kill you on the outside. And I and, and you know you haven't seen it, but I I do expect them to try and get Drew Aller into a rhythm, try and do some short throws to start the game, make him a little bit more comfortable, and then maybe give him a little bit of a longer leash. He saw against Maryland two weeks ago; they scored fifty-one points, and he was a big part. Like his comfort level, that was a big part of why he uh, why they were able to have success on offense. Not that they fixed anything, but at the same time, like there was like it was more enjoyable to watch from a coverage standpoint, from a fan standpoint, from just basically anybody around that game outside of Mike Loxley. It was it was more fun to watch that Penn State team than the two that that played the big games and, and laid eggs in the big games. So as they move into the new Big Ten, where you add UCLA and USC and Washington and Oregon, you take away divisions. What kind of offensive corner should they be looking for for that? conference that's it's it's going to be fascinating to watch the 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 pac 12 teams and the style that they play because they're not going to change in the first year like the how they score points and how they're able to you know you, you want to say no defense or whatever but it's going to be a different uh formula than the traditional big 10 teams so you've got to keep it open you've got to I, i'm not saying you have to recruit or uh, an offensive coordinator around drew aller but like this is your guy that you're trying to figure out or you're trying to uh vault your own program as a quarterback producer, a quarterback recruiter, things like that. So this this guy means a great deal to what they're trying to do. Um, but I, I I don't know. Penn State's identity, I think, is always going to be running the football. Um, but that's not necessarily how they've scored their points over the last decade. You look back to when Joe Moorhead was here, there was a great deal of uh, of success and balance. There was a great deal of that. And James Franklin wants to be balanced. He he wants to he wants to run the quarterback, but I don't think it's a, it's a be all end all thing. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I looked at a bunch of, you know, if you would call them potential candidates or possibilities, if you will, and you could go a number of different ways with this. The problem that I see is you're not going to fix the deficiencies that you have on the outside just in one round of portal or in one round of recruiting. Like Penn State still has a lot of issues on the outside, so can't go to a, a spread them out air raid or, or something like that. I, you know, I know Wisconsin's had their tr their issues this year with a similar change. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, yeah, they I didn't have the personnel to run it. Right. Right. And you can't you can't just flip that. I mean, I know it sounds great, like, but you can't go out and sign a free agent here. Well, yeah. And now, interestingly enough, Joe Moorhead's a short drive away in Akron. Penn State can probably pay him more than Akron does. But I guess that's just a matter of do you want to still be a head coach or do you want to go back to being a coordinator? Yeah, I mean, and Akron's very tough, very tough place to win. And he has not really done much of it. Um, and I think that that's a that's a tough place for anybody that, that is trying to win football games. Um, but yeah, Moorhead makes sense. Like Moorhead makes sense in the sense that he could be one of, I mean, he's one of the guys that we highlighted as a possibility on Blue White Illustrated. He's one of the guys that you just keep, keep hearing that name come up because 
you know, in part because he has shown production. He has done a, a pretty good job, but also harkens on the glory days of 2016 when you win a Big Ten title with him. I mean, that was that was the one guy that, that was able to get them over the hump to play Ohio State well. He beat Ohio State when he was at uh, Oregon, you know, for you know, if you, if you want to give him the credit for that, if you want to give somebody, I don't know, but the, the result is the result there. So there's some familiarity there. And I think, I think my biggest thing with Moorhead is when he came in in 2016, he said, Hey, I got the offense. Just let me, let me take care of it. And I think that that is exactly what they need. They need a head coach of the offense. I think Manny Diaz does a really good job of that on the defensive side of the ball and it's, and it's worked for them. So um, you, ha- you have James do his thing, his CEO thing, and you've got two head coaches that uh, that can make it work, one on offense, one on defense. All of a sudden, you've got a formula for a team that can maybe, maybe get over that hump. You never know. Divisions are going away. Schedule's changing. Um, but, uh, you know, with that 12-team playoff, you you get a little bit more leeway there. So I, I was driving back to my hotel after the game, Sean, and I, I stop at a sports bar to, to watch some of the other games and get something to eat. And I'm sitting there at the bar. And there's a guy across the bar from me. He's wearing his Penn State jersey. And I hear him say this. And I'm curious how many of your subscribers are saying this right now. Because it, it it shocked me to hear it. And the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I kind of get it. He said, I'd give anything to have Sean Clifford back right now. Wow. Um, you know, that's uh, go back a year and say that and see what uh, Penn State fans say. Sean was so good at getting everybody in the right place. Like Sean would go up to the line and he had that level of trust. He was a fourth year starter. He was a guy that, you know, can, I don't want to say have that ESP, but uh, he, he was able to know what the, know what the coordinator was thinking, know what the coach was thinking, know what the defensive coordinator was thinking. Cause he'd seen all of it and you were that comfortable with it and you were that you know, comfortable with making him, you know, even though sometimes the throws did not go where he wanted the throws to go, he still put them in the right general area and like he made the right reads and, and did all that kind of stuff. So yes, um, Drew's more talented. Like there's uh you can, you can see some of the throws he makes. Sean is like classically underappreciated because of the way that uh, most of his, like, cause just cause he was here so long, Yeah, but I think it's more of the trust thing. It's more of the pre-snap thing. It's more of the getting guys in, in spots and not being confused and like, there's a lot of dummy calls that have gone, uh, you know, pre-snap for Penn State this year, just to confuse a first-year quarterback. That's what everybody does against first-year quarterbacks, and Penn State has fallen into that trap just because they didn't have the guy to think on the fly. And that's not a cut at Drew, but he just hasn't seen it as much. And, and it's interesting because it, it's it highlights how hard it is to find the right quarterback and or, or to develop the right quarterback because Drew Aller, during the recruiting process, everybody wanted him. He has all of the, the physical tools that you could possibly want. And and like you know, Clifford was a, an example of a guy who got things done. But you think about it, the most successful Penn State quarterback in the last 20 years is Trace McSorley, mm-hmm. who yeah. was a guy that James Franklin was recruiting at Vanderbilt and and he came, you know, came with like sometimes you just don't know. You don't, you don't, and the and the threat of the quarterback run has been so good to Penn State. Like the not just not so much the actual quarterback run, but the uh, the threat that this guy is going to take off. Drew scored Penn State's first touchdown with a quarterback draw that yeah just was kind of like uh you know he was he was zigzag. I think everybody in the stadium knew it was coming, and, and Michigan couldn't stop it. Yeah, it's it, and and it's not like he can't run. We've seen guys that can't run. He can he can do a little bit of it, and he did a, more of it on Saturday and and that's the sort of thing that can open up your offense. But when you're not scared of that, your, your defense is, has an 11 on 10 advantage there. So that has been so good to Penn state over the years. Clifford, uh, 
underrated athletically, you know, able to pull the ball down and, and take some hits and things like that and taking a few too many hits uh, at times. But uh, yeah, with him, with McSorley, it's it, it was so it was so much different than with Aller and with Hackenberg, because that's the that, that, that's, that's the way that I think they were comfortable calling the game. So where is the fan base mentally right now? The, the plateau is what it is. It's been this way since 2017. The, the change is structural coming next year. And it feels like maybe that's di- the difference they need. Maybe that makes things feel a little different. But I, I imagine it's pretty frustrating. It's yeah, basically Groundhog Day. I don't think they're there yet. <laughs> like, I don't think the fan base is there yet. I don't think they're thinking about the difference in schedules. I think they're thinking that, uh, hey, Penn State has not done well against Ohio State and Michigan, and those are the standards. And, you know, even with the other teams coming in, they're going to continue to be the standard because that's what we've known for so long in, in the Big Ten. So, like, I, I don't think they're quite there with ready to to get over that hump because, you know, James Franklin's record in big games is what it is. It's not changing. It's not, you're not going to get an opportunity if you go to the Peach Bowl and play Tulane, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get credit for that win just as he doesn't didn't against uh, uh, Memphis a couple of years ago in the Cotton Bowl. Like it's it's a situation where you're just continually trying to nip at the heels and you're just not getting getting where you want to be. And that that's all going to fall on the guy that's making nine million dollars. And, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around, yep. but it's it's going to start with that guy. And you you can't blame Penn State fans for just sort of being in that mindset. And it ain't Texas A&M. He's not getting that buyout. So he is not. He's got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, 65 million ish, I think, is where they're at right now. It does not have that oil money. They've got uh, some natural gas money up north, but I don't think that's coming in to buy out a, a head coach. Exactly. Sean Fitz, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Andy. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me on. We're glad we got, got glad we got you to town this weekend. Oh, well, hey, hey, before I I don't I don't know if I'm messing with any of your sponsors, but Barrel 21. Yes. Was always one of my favorite places, but I had I had the poutine there on Friday night. Holy ma- bone marrow gravy oh, on this on fast, fries man. with Don't flash you... fried steak. Oh man, unbelievable! About it. And yeah, the, the the folks at Autos do a fantastic job. They uh they that's their distillery there. But uh, I've been oh, going yeah. to Autos since forever, man. They they just uh, they know how to do it. Well, that's and that's the thing. So if you if you're going to a game at Penn State, you get off the interstate on Atherton. And it's right there. You have Autos, which is a giant sports bar. They brew their own beer. And you have Barrel 21, which is a little more uh, kind of elevated bar food. And they they also distill their own bourbon and rye. Uh, the Rock and Rye, if you get a chance to try that, try it. It is spectacular. All right. I'll take your word for it. We're, we're not really famous for the uh, the bourbons and the ryes up here in uh, central Pennsylvania, but they do a good job. And I agree. Some of the some of the best mixed drinks I've had have been in there. They're, uh, they, oh, yeah. they do a perfect job. And that has been traveling to state college because I think people think, oh, it's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there. No, no, no. They'll, they'll take care of you. All right. Well, I'm glad we took care of you this weekend. We're glad to, glad to get you on campus. I'm sorry. Sorry to watch that offensive output, but uh, that's kind of where we're at with uh, with covering this team. That's okay. There's always creamery ice cream and you know, you always it's, that's always a win. So thank you, Sean. All right. Thanks. That's it for the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember Wednesday is a dear Andy episode. Get those questions in. You can find me on X at Andy underscore staples on Instagram at Andy underscore staples, or you can email your question. Andy staples on three at gmail.com. I look forward to them. You always ask the most wonderful questions help drive the conversation on this show. I always tell people we have the smartest, best-looking listeners, viewers in the world, and you 
show that every single week when you ask those questions. So get them in there. We'll talk about it tomorrow night. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-420-47 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.